0: Welcome back to another Around the Table here at the Arculus Studio. This is Kryptonite, me, Samuel Arms, Joshua, Jake. And our special guest today is Lee Schneider, uh, head counsel or general counsel for Ava Labs. Lee, how are you? I'm great. Thank
1: you for inviting me to come and chat with you all.
0: Absolutely. Couldn't be a better time just because of all the fun regulatory stuff going on day to day. I mean, just what, three weeks? Has it been three weeks since Gensler testified in front of the House Financial Services Committee and just had a a grand all time in Congress?
1: Yeah, so the, the chairman of the SEC definitely uh, enjoys his visits to Capitol Hill, um, <laughs> and he's definitely got a lot of things on his plate. So, uh, you know, we understand where he come he's coming from. So AvaLabs and Avalanche is obviously one of the top players in the
0: space. And being uh, their counsel, obviously, especially in the United States, there's always two sides. I always see people who say – well, there are ways and strategies to actually follow regulations in a good and justified way here in the United States, right? And we all know that there's clearly people out there who are not following those regulations and being scammers, and those people should be prosecuted. But then on the flip side, you know, I was reading Coinbase's um, response to their Wells notice, and it's kind of like, okay, but what about the companies that are trying to properly go through these regulatory environments and trying to see clarity, but are just kind of hearing nothing, right? Until they get a Wells notice, right? So what have you seen? I mean, you've been doing this for a while, even before Ava Labs, you were with the block, correct?
1: Uh, I was at block one, block right, right one. before this. And uh, I also worked as an outside lawyer, um, doing a lot of doing a lot of work for different projects, for Coinbase, for lots of other companies in the space. So, so now it's been Seven long. years or so. <laughs> yeah. Jeez, so seven years. So what have you seen in those seven
0: years? Like, is what you're seeing from, you know, Gensler's SEC, um, like, is it what you've seen the past seven years? Has there been any change of course? Are things getting better? Are things getting worse? So, so look,
1: I, I, uh, <clears throat> I've been expressing my views on how I think the U.S. Uh, securities law issue breaks out for quite some time. I've written a number of different pieces in that, that have been published publicly starting way back in 2016 when Coinbase open sourced the work that I did with them on the original securities law framework for blockchain tokens. I think you can still find that on the Coinbase website someplace, um, but but search it out on the Internet and you'll see uh, where my views were back then. Uh, All the way up to uh, the summer of last year, I wrote an article in Crowdfund Insider saying, um, oranges are not securities and neither is Sol, the uh, Solana token, uh, where I really expressed in in very uh, 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 concise terms, my view of Howie and the correct interpretation of that case. There's another Supreme Court case, Edwards, which is from 2003 or 2004, on the same topic. And so I, I think the law is clear. Um, the, the The view that I have of the law is not that necessarily of the SEC or anybody else. Um, but I do think that the law is clear. I think that there's been a lot of misconceptions about how to read Howie and and that's caused a number of issues. You know, so that kicks us then over to the CFTC world and commodities and commodity futures and swaps and all this other stuff, uh, and that's an area where I have less expertise, but um, you know, that's an area what, that a lot of other people cover, and so I think there are some some uh, answers here that are not super difficult. I do think that. Uh, You know, different agencies have interpreted things differently, and that has gotten us to the situation where we are now. On the question of whether or not there is quote-unquote regulatory clarity, uh, you know, look, I have to fall on the side of the ledger, so to speak, where I I think there is not regulatory clarity. I think there's a lot of questions uh, uh, that uh, the SEC could still answer um, that uh, have to do with Particular regulations uh, under the 33 Act or the 34 Act, and how they would apply to investment contracts, uh, whether or not those investment contracts are tokens, and so we still have a lot of a, a lot of open questions there. Um, I, I, I do take a lot of the points that the SEC makes, and I, I, I take what they are doing very seriously. I don't think that they're being, you know, completely irrational. I don't think that they're that they're being awful people or anything like that. Um, but there is definitely more work to do here in the US and that's why I think you know it's important to spend time on Capitol Hill. I think it's important to continue to engage with all regulators, frankly all regulators around the world on these issues because everything's constantly evolving and that's just the nature of technology and if we don't spend a lot of time engaging, with policymakers and regulators, I think we're going to find ourselves in great difficulties.
2: Yeah. So in the last seven years of your expertise in the space, what have you done or what have you seen that helps push towards the right measures? Because you mentioned that you truly don't believe, like, for example, Sol was a security, which means it's going to fall under the lines of a commodity or some other asset class. And how are you looking to the entire industry because right now, kind of the investors in the space are running around with their heads cut off. So not only are these institutions and these core companies launching these blockchain protocols, uh, not understanding how one they can market, one or two, what the regulatory uh, issuance looks like, but how do you navigate that? How have you helped navigate uh, with Ava Labs uh, just through this uncertainty?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So um, we have. Started this initiative last fall called OWL Explains. If you go to the owlexplains.com website, you can see a lot of what we're doing. You can follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. And the basic idea there is to provide resources for policymakers, regulators, and frankly, for anybody who is interested in learning more about blockchain technology interested in learning about the different use cases associated with blockchain technology, interested in understanding more about how blockchains help build a better internet. And so I really encourage people to use those resources. The main resource to answer your question more directly that I point to is the sensible token classification system that I developed over the course of a couple of years and the the latest iteration of which was published in 2022, so about a year ago, by Chambers and Partners as part of my work as the contributing editor for the Chambers and Partners FinTech Practice Guide. And there I lay out how I think regulation of tokens and tokenized assets should work um, and, and what that should look like. And I remind people that a token is just a digital representation of some kind of a bundle of rights uh, or some kind of an asset, and so understanding that 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 is the basics here, right? I break things down into broad categories, including a category of native DLT tokens, and those are tokens that are inextricable from the blockchain or smart contract that they operate with. So Bitcoin and Ether and Avax are examples of that. And it's that inextricability, it's that fact that they are totally intertwined together. You can't separate Bitcoin from the Bitcoin blockchain. You can't separate Ether from the Ethereum blockchain, et cetera, that make them somewhat different from traditional asset classes that we've seen, whether they are traditional types of financial instruments like securities or commodity futures or swaps or frankly, other types of assets, right? People forget that commodities is a very, very broad term that encompasses things that are not financial instruments. Nobody thinks that wheat is a financial instrument. Nobody thinks that oranges are financial instrument, yet both of those things are commodities. And so we need to really pinpoint what we mean when we talk about these different things And that's what I tried to do in the sensible token classification system. And then with OWL Explains, we have the tree of Web3 wisdom, which has five branches. And this is designed to be a guide for policymakers. And one of those branches is classify tokens sensibly. That is to say, let's see what the nature of the asset is, what it is, what does that token represent? And that will tell us. For the most part, how it should be regulated.
0: What's the name of the chamber you did this for?
1: Uh, so it's Chambers and Partners, which is a, a law firm rating guide, and they do a fintech practice guide every year, where uh, significant practitioners from around the world contribute uh, to um, to the practice guide the latest information about fintech law and regulation. Uh, around the world. And I'm the contributing editor. And in that, I get to write the opening essay every year. Actually, this year, they just published the new one for 2023. And it's my fifth anniversary as the contributing editor. I was the first one. Uh, wow. So I've been doing it for five years now. And um, anyway, I've, I've talked about a lot of these themes over the years and uh, in 2022, published the Sensible Token Classification System through them.
0: Are any countries around the world kind of moving in the direction of, like, say, classifying tokens correctly? I'm always hearing new things about either a country in Europe or the EU coming out with some huge packet of regulation. And I always hear at first it looks good, and then someone's like, oh, no, it's awful. And then they're like, oh, no, wait, it is actually good, you know, which I get in a changing industry by the time they regulate it. Uh, maybe you come out with a new token classification or something of the sort, right? So you're like, damn it, we got to take a step back. Um, So uh, like, what are you seeing internationally?
1: I I think there's a lot, a lot happening internationally. You know, you pointed to Europe and I think Europe is, is a great place to start. Um, But, but I will say Japan actually in 2016, in the spring of 2016, I think was the first major jurisdiction with comprehensive crypto asset regulation. Now, they did not utilize the sensible token classification system uh, back then. I hadn't even dreamed it up yet. Uh, So they were dealing mostly with um, discrete cryptocurrencies that were being traded like Bitcoin and Ether. Um, But they have continued to evolve that regulation and uh, they have a pretty good state of the art regulation right now. Um, I'm very uh, excited about Europe and the marketing crypto assets regulation, which I think about two months ago was finally passed by the European Parliament. So implementation will begin sometime next year. I think that uh, regulation recognizes uh, some of the core concepts in the token classification system. For example, at the very beginning, it says look, if the token is a representation of a traditional financial instrument that is already governed by our market and financial instruments regulation, then Mika doesn't apply. It's MIFID that applies, right? So it's that recognition that tokens can be digital representations of lots of different things. That I think is the core insight from the sensible token classification system, and is something that the Europeans have recognized uh, early on as well. And so I think we're, you know, slowly moving various jurisdictions in the direction of recognizing the sensible classification system. Even here in the U.S., by the way, uh, you know, uh, a month or so ago. The IRS published some proposed guidance on NFT collectibles that recognizes that when the NFT is a digital representation of an underlying collectible, like fine art or jewelry or something like that, that the two that the that the NFT is not separate from the underlying collectible, and uh, that's exactly physical asset tokens under the. Uh, sensible classification system. Uh, The FASB published a couple months ago an exposure draft on the account proper accounting treatment for a class of crypto assets that there was no accounting treatment listed for. And basically the way they defined it, it's the native DLT tokens from the sensible classification system. And FASB recognized, look, it's just digital representations of stuff that we're talking about here when we're talking about tokens. So if it's a digital representation of stock, it gets treated like stock. If it's a digital representation on blockchain of IP rights, it gets treated like IP rights. But there's this narrow class of things that we don't have treatment for. And so we're gonna uh, put out a draft to say how we would expect to treat that. So we're seeing this everywhere now um and and hopefully in mostly in accordance with what i i had postulated in the sensible classification system
2: yeah so i come from a pretty massive audience and they're primarily going to be a lot of degen investors and people that are also really uh just bullish on crypto in general and just here for the future of web3 uh can you give us some light on what are some red flags that you see in a company or a corporation that might make you say hey you know, we need to let this one cook or sit back for a second because they might be facing some massive regulatory heat uh, in the near future. Of course, not financial or legal advice, but what are some, some things that you've seen in your experience that have been like, wow, if if I had saw this earlier, I would have known ha- to have stayed far away from this company uh, or institution.
1: Yeah. And obviously I, I, I uh, am not giving legal or financial advice and you know, given the performance of my own portfolio, uh, (laughs) <laughs> don't want to take my advice on on, on this. I could second that motion. <laughs> I uh, I I tend to buy and hold, and then I hold too long, and you know, and that's been. You, know, that's, you enjoy being it's, of
2: It's more men, is like we're in the wild west right now, and I feel like a lot of investors feel that they are. It's up to them to protect themselves because we don't have a regulatory body that's coming in saying, "Hey, we got you. We're going to protect you." So we're just. Or gunslinging in the West, that <laughs> we're trying to see who's going to catch the bullets first.
1: Yeah. And I mean, look, the SEC will tell you that they are not designed to protect investors in the sense of stopping people from making investments, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the SEC is all about good disclosures and making sure that as much information as possible is disclosed so that investors can make their own decisions. And those will be very highly informed decisions. So we can argue about whether or not certain disclosures are necessary and what the right standards are and all of that other stuff. But the basic idea of having good disclosures so that investors or purchasers can make good assessments about whether or not the instrument or the product or service is right for them is is sensible. So I think disclosure is one of those things that people uh, at, at a high level shouldn't be arguing about. And so that for me is the linchpin, right? When I make an investment, when I buy a product, when I subscribe to a service, I read stuff and I want to understand, is this you know, going to do the things that I want it to do? Is it going to function the way I want it to function? Is this the kind of investment that fits in with the other kinds of investments that I'm interested in or looking for, right? And I'm being very purposeful here of talking about investments and products and services because oftentimes what you're dealing with with crypto assets is sometimes it's an investment. Sometimes it's a product that you're gonna use. Sometimes it entitles you to some kinds of services. Right, If you buy uh, uh, layer one tokens and a proof of stake layer one, you may want to operate a validator node. And so you need to understand what the nature of the asset is, what are its functions and features. Just the same way as when I buy a car, I want to understand the functions and features of the car to make sure it does the things that I want it to do. Right? Maybe I'm a speed demon and I need Tesla ludicrous mode uh maybe i am the most cautious driver in the world and what i'm most concerned about is not the acceleration but the safety features of the car and so uh, you know we have to look at all of these things holistically my view and that's where you'll find your red flags so i would encourage people to you know do a lot of reading to get smart about whatever it is that they're looking to buy whether it's a crypto asset or a car or, you know, whatever, and and make your decisions based on that. That's where you're gonna see your red flags. Do you think one thing
0: that I'm noticing now that's kind of worrying me um, is that digital assets, Crypto Web 3, they're now becoming campaign talking points for the upcoming election all the way in 2024. When uh, when you're thinking of the regulatory environment, there's probably no worse thing that than you could ask for than having your industry become now a, a presidential talking point, because I feel like that just makes the uncertainty and risk just that much higher, right? And so I think like three weeks ago, I started seeing uh, like official campaign materials from certain campaigns coming out about you know, cryptocurrency being used for tax evasion and loopholes and whatnot. Do you think that has or will give any bias to some of the executive agencies like the SEC or CFTC uh, under a current or future administration if they start viewing this as a focus for a political campaign?
1: This is exactly why we started Owl Explains. So, now, I don't have to weigh in on all of these questions or the politics or whatever, right? I can point people to a resource where they can get straight talk about different things that are happening. Um, I, look, I, 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 I try, will not express any opinions about politics in the United sure. States or anywhere else. You know, I, I think that there is a lot of work to be done. By policymakers, by regulators, and by people like me, this is how we bring people together. By the way, I also think there's a huge role for academics, and I think there's a whole bunch of academics out there who are doing really interesting research and writing on topics related to blockchain and crypto um, that aren't getting enough uh, enough recognition for the work that they that they do, um, and and they do a lot of excellent work. I know there's uh, uh, the CBER Forum, which is the Crypto and Blockchain Economics Research Forum. It's run by a group of academics from all around the world, and they do all of this excellent research. They host, all, they host a symposium or a webinar, I think once a month, maybe more frequently. Um, you know, They do all kinds of excellent research, Not enough people are focusing on the research and work that they're doing. So I think there's a whole bunch of stuff going on out there. I think education is key, as it always is. I think disclosure is key, as it always is. And I think that's going to get us to a place where we'll make some pretty good decisions.
0: Is Al Explains going to be something you guys are going to try to push in front of policymakers? Or is there any strategy around that? Or is it literally just... A resource that they can go to.
1: Yeah, I mean, we whenever we meet with policymakers or regulators, we let them know about Owl Explains and the website. Um, you know, we try not to beat people over the head. That is not our goal. As I said, we want it to be a resource, as you said, a resource, right? Um, but we want also people to know about it, and so you know, we tweet about different things that are going on. Uh, when we write new articles and notes or, or launch new things, we let people know about that. We'll probably be going into a little bit of a quiet time as we head into the summer now, but I think we have some exciting announcements for the fall as well. And uh, I, you know, so yes, we are trying to let people know that we are out and about and saying things that are designed to be helpful. Uh, we're not trying to advocate a particular position. But we are trying to be helpful in educating people for the debate and discussion. In your opinion, what would be the if you can
0: even mention what the worst possible outcome would be? But what kind of like <laughs> as an attorney is what keeps you up at nights around some of this stuff? Is it just because I always hear people say, well, actually, I'd rather have a bad policy pass because I know how to operate than have no policy? But are, are there trends that you're seeing that you're like, OK, this is literally going to hurt or kill or substantially, maybe even in the United States or internationally, another country, uh, hurt what you're doing or what
1: Avalanche is trying to do? I, the the short answer is, you know, nothing that I've seen that's under current discussion, I think, is going to kill anything, Right. Sure. If the United States goes in a particular direction, in some particular directions, maybe it drives more people offshore, and it means that there is less blockchain activity in the United States, and the technology is advanced in other countries, either by Americans or 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 not. Um, I think that's something obviously that policymakers should be concerned about. Um, as an American citizen. <laughs> as somebody who's not giving up his passport anytime soon, right? Um, so, you know, I, I think that's an issue of concern, but again, the, those decisions are going to get made, hopefully with some input from me, but no, nobody's, knocking, nobody's knocking on my door asking me what the right answers are here. You know, for, for me, uh, this is about building a better internet. And I think that building is going to happen and I think that that building, that, that once people recognize what's really going on with blockchains, right? Well, I'm gonna take a step back for, for a second. I apologize for doing this, but like blockchain solved three long long-standing computer science problems that had been around since the 1960s. And these are not the only three computer science problems that have been around since the 60s, right? Lots of problems uh, exist, AI being one of them. But three big problems, right? One problem is how do you get a disparate network of computers to agree on a common data set? Uh, Number two, how do you establish digital uniqueness, right? We understand physical uniqueness. We can assess physical uniqueness with our five senses. Digital uniqueness is beyond the imagination of human beings, Uh, not beyond the imagination beyond the the ability to sense it, right? And so how can we establish digital uniqueness? And then the third problem was once you establish digital uniqueness, how do you establish ownership of digitally unique items and transfer that ownership? And in 2008, in a white paper by person or persons unknown, that gets, all three of those get solved, boom, right away. Right after after four decades of of work by by prominent computer scientists and this these are big changes to the world. These this opens up new avenues for human beings to use the Internet in ways that they have never dreamed of before. And so what we're seeing now is the whole iteration and experimentation process i find all of this super exciting there's no doubt that bad things will happen but there's also no doubt that many amazingly good things are going to happen and i'm here to work on those amazingly good things does that go ahead
2: i was just gonna say well said i i think everybody i don't know if you've read everything about the cypherpunks and what they've developed but You know, seeing it all come together over the last decade, we've seen a lot. I think about three years ago, we had El Salvador announce that they're bringing Bitcoin into their culture as a legal tender. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on that actually very, uh, very, very issue that was just, I believe, this week, which is the United States uh, Democrats are actually looking to implement a law that has the U.S. government circumvene with, El Salvador and now uh track all the transactions, everything they're doing through Bitcoin and their networks because they want to see how secure and the cybersecurity and all of that uh kind of fits together. Uh, so as you've traveled and I imagine you've traveled international, worked with a lot of international bodies on a regulatory front. Uh, do you believe that they should be working closely together or keeping a thumb necessarily over each and every country or what's the decentralization spectrum look like here are we supposed to be allowing it should be a global regulation that is kind of on a global scale everybody looks at crypto the same way or do you think the United States should take a different approach than the UK which should take a different approach from Japan uh and if so how do you think they are going to go about that
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. So uh, the fifth branch of our tree of web three wisdom is think globally. And, you know, part of the idea there is that uh, blockchains, just like the internet, right, are global technologies that are accessible by human beings anywhere, um, as long as they have a computer and internet connection. And by the way, a mobile phone is a computer in case everybody forgot. Um, Right. So, so, look, we strongly believe that there are common principles that can be enacted and that can be agreed upon and enacted by lots of different governments around the world. Do we think that all governments should adopt the same principles? Even if I thought that that was a good idea, it's not practical. As a practical matter, different governments are gonna make different assessments about what is appropriate for their populace. And uh, I may have views on those assessments, but it's hard for me uh, as a citizen of the United States to you know, tell everybody else around the world that they're making big mistakes and doing things wrong, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So look, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity for global cooperation here. I do think privacy, is a a good thing i do think it's important for people to think about their own privacy i think it's important for governments to think about people's privacy and i think it's important that people and governments collaborate to make sure that privacy works the way they want it to work and um so i i don't know how all of this is going to play out i don't know what law enforcement goals, what, uh, what geopolitical goals governments are going to have, um, but I do know that ideas about privacy, ideas about who has your data and, and what the value of your data is and other things like that are important questions to be considered and discussed.
2: Yeah, Lee, I'm actually glad you brought up the whole privacy aspect uh, because this is something that people kind of just completely forgot about when this is why it was first created. Having that freedom and privacy to be able to transact and uh, Satoshi's mindset on just having that freedom of spending your money where you want to spend your money, uh, which has been very interesting over the years because we've saw things like tornado cash get completely sanctioned and pushed out for ties to things such as North Korea or wherever the uh, miscellaneous funds were coming from. But how do you look at privacy tokens, things like Monero, things that Edward Snowden has been a huge advocate for? Are these, you know, in the sense of something we're going to see get pushed out and flushed out by the United States, just like we saw with Tornado Cash, or have you actually seen those been more kind of looked up to in the regulatory space?
1: Yeah, I actually don't have strong views on on privacy tokens like like Zcash and and Monero, um, I, I think the privacy questions are big questions, as I said, and they, they are certainly present with regard to, you know, crypto assets and, and public blockchains, but they're, they're present in so many other areas of life. Um, and, and, you know, in some ways, it, it, it's, there, there are cultural aspects to privacy, when i speak with with folks in europe i uh, often hear that they worry less about their privacy from the government and more about their privacy from private companies when i talk with folks in the us it's more or less flipped they worry much more about their privacy vis-a-vis the government than they do vis-a-vis uh vis-a-vis comp- private companies and So I I do think that there is a an element of a a cultural element to privacy. Maybe "cultural" is the wrong word, but um, and 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 so I I I think though whether whichever side of that divide you fall on, um, keeping in mind your privacy and um, again governments also keeping in, the mo- in mind the need for their citizens to have privacy, I-, I think are important things. And there are lots of tools that people can use on their own if they are so inclined, but there should, in my view, be uh, laws that allow people to use those tools and um, provide the right incentives or disincentives both for private industry and for governments to be protective of people's privacy.
2: Yeah, and I think it'll flow this into AI, but I 100% agree. I think you know the cultural ex- uh, expectations in the UK, like you mentioned, or Europe versus Japan and the United States and Japan's price uh, flipped as well. Uh, for some reason in the United States, it's just cool if companies sell our data to <laughs> foreign countries. Uh, Meta continues to get slapped in the face with that one. Uh, So seeing that be able to put our data on chain, I've actually talked to and spoken to people from the World Economic Forum that are putting and I've worked with a lot of data engineers and scientists that are just putting your data and these data sets on chain, whether that's a media company or entertainment or politics or voting or, uh, you know, whatever, you know, cars, NFTs, whatever it is, uh, owning that property, owning that intellectual property is that privacy within itself because it can't be used for malicious acts from private corporations. But uh, throwing it to the next strong conversation.
0: Yeah, obviously, AI is hot right now. And it's it's kind of ridiculous. I keep telling everybody, I think this whole every AI company is just a chat GPT API. So I don't know <laughs> what's going to happen when chat GPT decides to go under. And then suddenly every AI company is a nolan void for at least a day or two. But, uh, you know, are you looking at AI? Is Ava Labs looking at AI at all? Um and I don't even want to get into, I mean, the policy implications, the the legal implications, the regulatory implications around AI. You know, there seems to be some overlap there with what we going on what we got going on in web three, you know, and I think and I get the talking points around the benefits of AI and blockchain and how those two together really have a lot of, I think, push in the future. But are you seeing anything there? Are there any talks that have a labs around AI or is you seeing any crossover? You just kind of like uh, are watching it right now.
1: Well, I am definitely watching it. But uh, more importantly, our CEO, uh, Dr. Emin Gunser is looking at it. And um, in the next week or so, his keynote address from the Avalanche Summit should be up uh, on the website. And he talked about uh, a new initiative that we will have, which is to bring uh, AI, the, the LLM, the, the large language model AI uh um, to programming of smart contracts uh for blockchains. And he has some really innovative and interesting ideas. I will not do them justice here. I encourage everybody to uh check out the the summit uh and and his keynote address uh where he articulated them, I thought, quite well. And so uh, I am excited for us to get to work on some of this stuff. A very good friend of mine is one of, I believe, one of the top AI lawyers uh, in the country, if not in the world. And so uh, I expect that I'm going to be working closely with her on these issues. Uh, The one last thing I'll say on this topic is uh, the the interesting thing for me, one of the interesting things for me uh, about the law here is the questions of how should the law deal with autonomously functioning code? That is to say, code that self-executes based on inputs that it receives from from wherever. Um, And uh, I talk a little bit about this issue in my latest uh, essay for Chambers and Partners for the 2023 FinTech Guide. Um, but smart contracts are another example of autonomously functioning code, right? If you post a smart contract on a blockchain and you don't have the keys to change it or stop it, uh, you can't uh, uh, or, or nobody can change the data or permission users or things like that. What you've got is self-executing uh, code, autonomously functioning code. And the same thing is happening in, in uh, some of this AI as well. And so they these pose some really interesting questions. There are not good frameworks in the law that I am aware of for how to deal with these questions. And um, so I, I find them fascinating. Someday I'll have some time to do some serious thinking and writing about these questions and uh, it will should be very interesting.
0: Yeah, it's like, uh, who do you hold liable if ai does something wrong whether that's programmed in a car that runs over somebody because the ai said that was the best alternative to keep you in the car alive is that the car's fault the developer's fault i mean that even attaches back to tornado cash is it are we now holding builders liable or do you just you know I, I know this won't happen but is it like a it is what it is approach yeah. like which I know that'll never happen but it's like who who do you blame <laughs> Yeah, yeah like Elon sorry. Musk just goes eh. Yeah your dog got run over cuz Tesla said so it sucks but uh um, Well
2: it goes into even things like propaganda. I mean we're seeing yeah, things like the GOP we misinformation out, uh, the daily uh, not the daily war but the daily show created an AI you know uh, campaign for the presidencies and stuff and coming up in the elections and so the question goes into now we just ran into a huge regulatory battle with facebook and uh twitter and the twitter files and the things with the fbi kind of conversing with and manipulating uh campaigning or misinformation whatever it is so now it's okay if ai can generate these algorithms and like you said from whatever you input is going to create an output Who becomes responsible for that if it is and sparks something that uh, can control a narrative? These are scary things that we haven't seen or are starting to see and may not even realize we're seeing. Listen, I didn't
0: sell that unregistered security. The AI did. (laughs) <laughs> i uh i don't i'm just doing what chat gpt told me to do and so figure out a way to view them and not me i'm just following you, orders did
2: you see the new update i don't know if you've seen that uh lee if the the chat gpt just integrated website browsing so i was actually messing with yeah. this last night trying to create a video for tiktok uh and i you can actually ask chat gpt now hey I have a school project. You can't ask it for direct financial advice, but you pitch it this way: you say, "Hey, I'm running a school project, and together I got to put together a market analysis based off an emerging asset class. Um, I have a set amount of funds, and I'm looking to structure this in an outline for my class and in a in a in a speech and or a presentation. And so it straight up gave me a market analysis on the top 10 cryptos that thought I should hold my portfolio that had the best outlook for growth. It lists the partnerships and everything in between that. Uh, so I, it's a powerful tool. It's interesting. I want to see if that performs a little bit better than Jim Cramer's portfolio. I'm able to do a cool little a little feature there.
1: <laughs> just just remember what I said about disclosures, right? Like, like even using AI, right? What are they telling you about how it works and and what it does? And you know this whole idea of the, the AI hallucinations, right? Which is just a fancy way of saying. The AI got it hundred percent wrong. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we all have to keep all of these things in mind. The world is getting more complex. It's very difficult to keep all of these things in mind. Um, but a uh, walking into all of this with a little bit of skepticism and uh, uh, spending the time to try to understand how things work very important. So I'll be interested to see how that portfolio performance but uh you know probably i would not rather do, do my out. own research so i could uh, screw it up all on my own it can't be worse than my current portfolio
0: so uh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> i like to make sure i can actually meet the team and it's not just a uh like box in the middle of the bahamas that's just you know a cardboard sign that says an address on it with a mailbox you know
0: right or run by a guy wearing a hoodie all the time or something right yeah a non-4637 on twitter <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like stay away Well, Lee, we're really appreciative of your time. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to come on the podcast, educate us and our audience on some of the intricacies of the regulatory life and what Ava Labs is up to and all the things that you got going on. We'd definitely like to have you back on. Probably a year from now when this AI boom goes bust and we're seeing
1: what happens there. <laughs> you know, then I'm like you're making a prediction there, Sam. You better be well, careful with your predictions. It'll, it'll be around. Sam's it'll be the
2: around. type of guy that says please and thank you in the script when writing in a prompt on chat GPT, just please. so it doesn't get them in the future, you know. Because oh, hey, I I, I asked nicely. <laughs> yeah,
0: correct. It'll come back and bite me in the ass. I you know, when it's when the cops are using chat GPT, I want it to be nice to me. So I'm already bribing it as best as I i can uh but really lee we appreciate you and uh thank with you very that
2: much. uh kryptonite out right yeah thanks for being here guys and uh, also really quick everybody watching go check out uh all the research links below us that lee schneider was able to provide for us and build over the you know the last few years and thank you for being a leader and spearhead in this space for what little regulatory clarity we have lee so thanks for coming on
1: appreciate you guys
2: talk to you guys soon kryptonite out